0: Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Once again, it is time for us all to break bread together. Wait, let's be a little more accurate. It's playoff time. Our Hawks are a part of proceedings that matter. So it's time for us to actually toast while we talk. And why not? Our team has done all the heavy lifting and sweating to get back to the playoffs. This is a Toast to the A-Town, presented by the Basketball Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Andre Aldrich. Very special edition with the postseason upon us, which means I will have plenty to say and offer on our side. But we've reached for the very best to get a little perspective from someone with history on the other side, our opponents. So later in the show, I'm thrilled that we'll be joined by one of the most talented players to put on not just a New York Knicks uniform, but any uniform on any level. We will speak with the great Patrick Ewing here on the podcast. The Hawks and Knicks are meeting for just the third time in playoff history, and I'll have some of the best news and numbers surrounding Game 1. But first, let's take care of a little business. It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free to play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. All right, lots to talk about and think about before the Hawks and Knicks hit the floor on Broadway for their opening round playoff series. First off, welcome back. The Hawks achieving one of their preseason goals, which was returning to the playoffs after a three-year absence. And that seemed like a long time when you live and die with your team regardless of outcome. And a definite Amen to that, brother, from the course of the New Yorkers. Their squad reached the playoffs for the first time in eight years. Now, as would be expected in a 4-5 matchup, a lot of similar numbers between the two teams. But really, the news most talked about was the fact that the Knicks had swept the Hawks during the regular season series, three games to none. That is just a fact. But let's put some historical perspective on that. As I mentioned earlier, the Hawks and Knicks had only met in the playoffs twice previously. The first time was back in 1971, the rookie season for Pistol Pete Maravich alongside fourth year pro Lou Hudson. Those Hawks who finished the season 10 games below 500 were facing a Knicks crew. That was 22 games over 500 in the regular season. Not surprisingly, New York won that series four games to one for me. More relevant was the only other time the two franchises met in the postseason. Like now, it was following a truncated regular season. That was in 1999, when only 50 games were played due to a labor dispute, as opposed to the 72-game regular season this campaign. But back in 1999, it was the Hawks of Steve Smith, Dikeme Matumbo, and Mookie Blalock who swept the three-game regular season series against New York. And mind you, That was three wins in a 50-game regular season. Advantage Atlanta? Not so fast, son. Those eighth-seeded Knicks, led by 13-year vet Patrick Ewing, only advanced past the opening round of the playoffs against Miami due to a fortuitous shot by Allen Houston at the end of Game 5, a running one-hander that bounced off the front of the rim, then the backboard, and finally through the hoop with eight-tenths of a second left turning a one-point defeat into a one-point victory. Still, with the Hawks having beaten those lucky guys three straight in the regular season, our group was extremely confident when they met in the next round. Well, those Knicks swept the Hawks out of the playoffs four games to none. They won the first two games in Atlanta by eight and seven points respectively. Allen Houston with 34 points in game one. Latrell Sprewell with 31 in game two. The series then shifted to New York, where the Knicks posted a pair of double-digit wins. So that history is presented because what happened in the regular season, from my perspective at least, carries no weight at all. The second season is a different beast all into itself. It's all about preparation. And with a week to get ready, and the Hawks also playing their best ball of the year and getting their healthiest, well, those were two huge positive signs for me. And boy, what a ball game at Madison Square Garden on Sunday night. 15,000 screaming New York Knicks fans in the building and the Hawks were up to the environment and more important, the challenge. As they took home court away from New York, winning 107-105. Playoff debut for many Hawks. But Trey Young is the headliner for a reason. He quarterbacked a masterful game. Now, the victory was not a one-man show, and I'll get to his numbers momentarily. However, to borrow a line from one of my favorite music movies, Trey Young could have stood up after the game and announced to the media, I'm David Ruffin, and these are the temptations. All right, let me throw out some other flowers now, folks. John Collins. Help slow down the monster that was Julius Randle against us in the regular season. Hawks don't win game one without him. Lou Williams, when the Hawks struggled with just 19 points in the third quarter, and the Knicks had taken the lead, well, Lou was only and everything during that time while Trey was on the bench resting and watching. Hawks don't win without his steady hand in the 13 minutes he played. Bogey Bogdanovich, 18 points, but the timeliness of it felt like 1,800. His fourth three-pointer of the night. Tied the game at 103 with 55 seconds left. Biggest shot of the night until Trey's showstopper. So now, let's spend some time on Ice Trey. The first professional game he ever played in the NBA, regular season that is, took place at Madison Square Garden. Different coach from now. And what did David Fisdale have those Knicks doing from the jump in game one? They blitzed and double teamed him repeatedly. They were on Trey like he was a drunken sailor in Times Square with a pocket full of money during Fleet Week. As Trey told me that night, yeah, I was a little surprised, but that's how it's going to be. And that's how it's going to be a lot. Oh, man. So apropos that his first playoff game would also be at Madison Square Garden. And he knew it wouldn't be easy. But the F. Trey Young chants from the crowd, well, that wasn't the hard part. That was just fuel for the fire. And let me digress to something else that doesn't matter. I heard from a lot of Atlanta fans during and after the game who felt like the national broadcasters of the contest had a New York slant to the telecast. couple of things. First off, our team rarely gets national broadcasts, so there won't be any slants our way. And the guy calling the play-by-play was a former radio voice of the Knicks who grew up in the New York area. The analyst spent the first four years of his NBA career as the Knicks point guard. So here's what's most important. Your team that's out there battling, trying to get a win, they're not listening to the broadcast. It is irrelevant to the task at hand. If any broadcast puts you in a special way, turn on your music, turn down the sound, and through the magic of gravity and science, your team will continue to play hard and your enjoyment level just might go up exponentially. Now back to Ice Trey. His finishing numbers in game one, 10 assists, seven rebounds and 32 points. That included the game-winning floater with nine-tenths of a second to play following a timeout. A timeout in which Luke Williams told him nine point. Eight seconds left in regular of a tie game. Don't pass the ball. Now, if you go back and watch that winning play in its entirety, pay attention to something else. Trey had initially called for a screen from John Collins, but as John was tussling with Taj Gibson, he lost his shoe. And you can clearly see shoeless John Collins during the replay. Trey did, too, and he waved off the screen. John probably could not have executed that screen without fouling in your sock. As I said, our point guard quarterbacked a masterful game. Decision then take the defender Tom Thibodeau inserted to stop you one on one, and he did. Magic Johnson said the fourth quarter is winning time. And following that difficult third quarter, in which the Hawks only scored 19 points, they closed the show with 36 in the fourth. Trey Young, Scored or assisted on 21 of those 36 points. All right, show your work time. First off, it's just one game, and you've got to win four to take the series. But let's continue to spit facts and not opinions. Trey became just the second player over the past 25 years to score a go-ahead field goal in the final 10 seconds of the fourth quarter or overtime in a playoff debut. Dwayne Wade had a game winner for the Heat with 1.3 seconds left against New Orleans in 2004. Another notable debut number, Trey joins LeBron James as the only player to ever have at least 30 points and 10 assists and 5 rebounds in playoff game number 1. That's right. And with everything that is Madison Square Garden, which means mostly historical and mostly loud, Despite there being a lack of playoff games there the past seven years, here's another noteworthy number. Trey Young is the first player to have at least 30 points and 10 assists in any playoff game at Madison Square Garden since Michael Jordan did it in game five of the Eastern Conference semis in 1989. So please keep the F Trey Young chance coming because no matter how you look at it, Ice Trey is ready. For the bright lights of Broadway. And let's continue to incorporate New York Minutes in this edition of the podcast. The search to achieve greatness takes many things. Among them are respecting one's opponents. I'm a very big fan of boxing. And the night that Mike Tyson tried to bite off Evander Holyfield's ear, I was not a big fan of Mike's at all. And five years later, I briefly worked for Evander Holyfield in preparation for his fight against Chris Byrd. And you can imagine my surprise as Evander told me that when he was a teenager during a Georgia Golden Gloves tournament, he bit an opponent. Admits it wasn't right, but he did it. (laughs) I guess that's why Evander was one of the first people to forgive Iron Mike. And it's a beautiful thing to see the respect that they've had for each other for what's now going on decades. I speak on that because there's so much disrespect in other aspects of our lives nowadays. It seems like being disrespectful is the way to be. Well, it isn't. It ain't. Root for your team. Boo the opponent. But to call them something other than a child of God, well, that's a reflection on the parenting you received. Don't be that person. Respect the game for what it is. The reality is that the players that go at it tooth and nail, they have more in common with each other than they do with most of us. So rep your city proudly and rep your name with honor. I hope my team sweeps the Knicks just like they did to Smitty and them. But I do respect New York. They likely have the league's most improved player in Julius Randle. After four years with the Lakers, he signed a free agent contract with New Orleans bounced after a year, and is now playing his best basketball in year seven. The best Nick I've ever seen with my own eyes is actually going to be joining us in a couple of minutes. Now, he was one of the best shooting centers to ever play the game. 15 of his 17 seasons were played in New York, and he left the game as the Knicks' all-time leader in nearly every significant category and was the NBA's 13th all-time leading score with 24,815 points. I referenced that previous Atlanta-New York playoff series from 1999. Well, those Knicks advanced to the NBA Finals against San Antonio, but he was sidelined during the Eastern Conference Finals win over Indiana because of an Achilles injury and wasn't able to help New York against the Spurs. His high school coach in Boston was a talented Mike Jarvis his college coach, the legendary John Thompson. And just as important now, following his playing career, he spent a decade and a half as an assistant coach in the NBA because he wanted the opportunity to be a head coach in the NBA. However, that opportunity, rarely afforded to big men, didn't happen. But four years ago, he was that was a situation his alma potter took advantage of. So I'm looking forward to a conversation, not so much about the Hawks and the Knicks, but just with a great basketball mind about being successful on and off the court. Our conversation happened before the Hawks and Knicks went to work in game one. And during the chat, I erroneously put the Hall of Fame induction in 2012. He actually went in in 2008. And in other house cleaning we want to keep top of mind, Game two of our opening round series takes place on Wednesday night at MSG, before things come down here to the A-Town with games three and four on Friday and Sunday. Now, as we continue here with episode 16 of A Toast to the A-Town, it's almost time for the best part of the show, because that means we're about to bring in our invited guests, and as usual, He's someone that really needs no introduction, but let me just spend a moment on a couple of his accolades, because if I gave them all, we'd be here all day, all right? Just a couple of things to point out. He was the number one overall pick of the NBA draft in 1985. That's number one before everybody, all right? Want to talk about living up to expectations? He was the rookie of the year in the NBA that season. He became an 11-time All-Star. He was selected one of the top 50 players on the NBA's 50th anniversary team. In 2012, he was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. And to a certain generation of New Yorkers, he's the all-time number 1 Nick. So, with the Knicks and Hawks squaring off in their playoff returns, there's no better or bigger guests that we can have than the current head coach of Georgetown University. As we say hello and thanks for joining us to Patrick Ewan. Patrick, thanks for joining us here on A Toast to the A-Town, man.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure, Andre. You know, you and I go way back, so once you called and asked me to come on, so you know I had to, uh, you know, get on here.
0: You know what? And and, and we're going to get on a little bit of that story, too, a little bit later. But let's, let's start with these two basketball teams first, Patrick. And um, for the Hawks, again, haven't been to the playoffs in three years. Young team for the New Yorkers who never avoid the attention, good or bad, and they <laughs> haven't been in in 8 years. So going into this this playoffs after a drought for both teams for as far as being there do, is do you think there's a pressure on either team?
1: Um I mean, look, what is pressure? Mm-hmm. Pressure is having to put food on your table uh you know, uh having to get up to go to to that nine to five job. That's that the pressure of, of my mom, my dad, your mom, your dad, you know, a lot of folks out there, that's pressure. So to me, uh, you know, playing in uh the playing in the NBA, uh playing uh in the first round, that's really not pressure. Um both teams have, have struggled over the years, but I think that both team has done a great job of, of uh put themselves in a in great position. Of course, you know, I'm I played for the Knicks for, for fifteen years, so my allegiance is, is there even though uh you know the owner of the Hawks is, is a is a big Georgetown guy, you know. Tony he, wrestler, I mean, wrestler, Tony yes Wrestler, wrestler George yes Georgetown sir, man. Yes, sir. He's he's on our board. So um, you know, I, I, I I'm torn, but I, I have to go with the Knicks. I,
0: I understand that and uh your allegiance should be exactly what your allegiances are. And uh you know I, I've Seven of the best years of my life. I lived in New York City, (laughs) so uh, I've got a little bit of torn, but you know I'm pulling for the Hawks big time in this. So when we say about how these guys get there, um, Julius Randle, and again, he's not a big as far as a big in your era, but he's a big now. And for him to be in the league for as long as he has been, uh, uh, Patrick, and to maybe blossom this season, I mean, what does that tell you about just staying with it?
1: Well, you know, he, he's he's been in the league a while. Mm-hmm. He's been on a few teams. Mm-hmm. Uh I think he was drafted by the Lakers. Yes, sir. Um played very well there. Uh moved uh, he got moved. I think in an the anten- anten- um and uh, uh, AD tra- uh, trade to uh to to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm 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 I'm, I'm Do- speaking speaking out of turn, but now he's, he's now he's with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. He's had he's had an outstanding year. He's leaning them in scoring, rebounding, and assists. Uh, he's putting up great numbers. He's, he's the, the ultimate teammate. Um, you know, as a former player and a, and a, and a current coach, um, you know, you want your best player. You and your best player have to be on the same page. And I think both he and, and Tom Thibodeau are on the same page. They're both uh, great workers, and he, he comes with his hard hat and lunch bill every night, and that represents New York City
0: as far as down here and you had your battles with the Hawks. And again, on the podcast here, we had a, a you know, the big men don't necessarily get the respect. And she, <laughs> you're a headliner. So you did, but so Kevin Willis was a guest on the podcast a few episodes ago. So you know about what it's like for big, but the Hawks are definitely centered around Trey young. So right. what does it mean when you're a big and you have to understand that, well, everything kind of goes through the other guy. I mean, you weren't in that situation, but just give me your perspective as a big man.
1: Yeah, you know, you, I wasn't in that situation. Um, and I, you know, Kevin, he he played with Dominique, so yes, the, yes. the ball went through Dominique yes, first, and everybody else second. Trey Young is an outstanding player. The way that uh, the basketball game is uh, now, uh, the centers are not as uh, dominant or or, or needed. I, I would say as as in my era um you know Trey he can put up big numbers from the three point line he's an outstanding shooter mm-hmm. he can get to the go- to the hole he can make uh create havoc on on the de- on the defense and he he also, he also can and pass so you know uh it's difficult but you know I think that he's done a great job of not only scoring he's learning as he's as he's going i think what well, this is his third year mm-hmm. you know the first few years he was just trying to score now he's trying to score and also be a facilitator. And I right. think that he's using all that, all of all of his gifts uh is definitely uh benefiting his teammates.
0: Patrick, um I I I just, as I said, I mentioned just a few of your accolades before you bring you on here. But with everything that was in your toolkit, McDonald's All-American, kicking ass in high school, kicking ass at Georgetown, get to was it still another level? Once you get to the NBA and the playoffs started.
1: Oh, definitely. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I I was on another show and I was talking about, uh, you know, growing up in Boston and and Bill Russell. Mm -hmm. And Bill Russell, he won 11 rings. In 13 years. 11. (laughs) And, you know, and me as a young man, I'm like, I want to be the next Bill Russell. I want to be like Bill Russell. I want to win 11 rings. And not really learn knowing how difficult that is, and then you know getting to college and winning in college, making it to the, the the championship game three out of out of my four years, mm-hmm. you know, and then thinking, okay, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, relatively easy to at least get there, right? And finding out how difficult it was to even uh, get to the championship game, um, so it, it's 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 very difficult. Uh, I don't care how good you are, how how talented you think you are, unless you are surrounded with the right uh, people, and uh, you know you have, it's the right time. It's, it's, it's not it, it, a lot of times it's not going to happen.
0: As far as things being magnified, and I know that winning moments are magnified, but as far as playoff basketball goes, are you telling me that everything is magnified? Are you telling me that uh, first quarter mistakes are more important than a first quarter mistake in the in, in the regular season, that everything you do, you need to elevate entirely?
1: Everything is magnified. You work you work your butt off to get to that point in the season. All these teams are, that are in the playoffs, they they – they did everything that they needed to do to put themselves in this position. And when you're in this position, everything is magnified. Every little mistake, you know, you, you have to take care of the ball. You can't, uh, the mistakes that you were able to make uh, in the regular season and get away with it or maybe, may, might, maybe even lose, uh, you can't do it in the in 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 playoffs because that loss uh, could definitely uh, affect the outcome of the series.
0: You're not the first New York Nick to be a guest on my podcast. And you know, if it's my podcast, you already know who was on here, right? So um, I had a nice discussion with John Starks about his life, about basketball, about everything. So I don't feel bad. I'm not talking out of school or going behind his back. When we go back to a moment that I revisited with him, and that was since we're talking playoffs, and that was the headbutt with Reggie. And as John said... You know, Reggie would just kind of punk you if you you know, this was a time when you're a young player in the NBA, even though he had been in the league for a couple of years, that the vets didn't just give you respect. You had to earn it. Mm -hmm. And Patrick, what John said is, you know, Reggie and I watched I watched that game closely. I watched Reggie giving him his elbows and all the other stuff that Reggie was doing. But as John said, Reggie said something that I just I couldn't let go. So back to the playoff question, because I know you love John like a brother, and the guy who was in John's ear the worst after that happened was Patrick Ewing. So explain that to me.
1: <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, the funny thing is, I don't know what Reggie said, but I told you know I told John, "Let it go," before he, he did what he did. I'm like, "Let it go." The, you know, we have to um, take care of him on you know the right way. We'll get him back for you. Run him off of a screen. We'll make sure we. We put him on his butt, and of course John is so hot tempered that whatever Reggie said just uh, sent him over the top. Head butted him. Yes, and you know uh, it's funny because I think about it. That's the most I've hit one of my teammates uh, trying to calm him down. That his mother (laughs) is. The next time uh, we played, his mother came up to me. She's like, "Look, don't you ever put your hand on my son like that ever again." <laughs> it was, it was oh. funny. I'm like, look, as a Mr. Stiles, I had to calm his butt down, man. We need him.
0: The other part that's so beautiful for me and knowing some of the people that I do is that your teammate also was Doc Rivers. And as Doc has told me on many occasions, I told Jeff Van Gundy that John was about to get wound up. So I <laughs> tell Riles to get him out. Tell Riles to get him out. And I guess Jeff must have told him just a little bit too late
1: yeah you know it is what it is Uh, hopefully we learn from we learn from our mistakes and hopefully john has learned from that mistake and even with that when people do things to to tick you off sometimes you just got to take a deep breath and and exhale
0: so i also bring john up because john is as proud of, of you and we know you for being teammates for those years but he's as proud of you for what you've done as a head coach at Georgetown as anything I've ever heard him talk about a non-family member. And now I'm not never going to put words into your mouth. So I'm just going to say a couple of things. And the couple of things I'm going to say is, uh, in my history of being alive, uh, big men don't get the respect for possibly being coaches at the highest level, whether that's NBA or college. And this is something that you've lived again, not telling you to say nothing. But you spent a decade and a half as an assistant coach in the NBA right. wanting to get to the level to where you could be right now in telling young men and leading a team. And I say that because in a different in a different environment, in a different work thing, uh, whether it was me, uh, a push broom in a radio station just to get close to a microphone, it's putting in that extra time. So to me, what is the gratification finally that you've got your opportunity?
1: Oh, it, 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 I feel blessed. You know, I think that everything that I've went through, uh, all the no's, all the missed opportunities, seeing guys who, who played uh, come straight in from, straight in from playing uh, to getting jobs and me working at my craft for all those years and not giving an opportunity. And, yes, I do believe, just like you said, big. a lot of people think there's a, there's a stigma that big people think that big people can't coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, when uh, JT3 – got let go uh, here at Georgetown, and, and, John, and uh, John Thompson Jr. Uh, called me up and told me I need to try to get an interview for this job, and my goal was to be a head coach in the, in the NBA. He's like, look, they have not given you an opportunity there, so you might as well try here. Uh, I called the president of, uh, of Georgetown, uh, President mm-hmm. Uh He was uh, kind enough to uh, grant me an interview, and here I am being the coach, uh, being the coach here. Um, you know, and, I, and my goal is just to be the best coach I possibly can be, you know, try to educate these young men, try to make them better on and off the floor, do a lot of the same things that, that Coach Thompson did for me, uh, for them. And uh, yes, win. Yes. You know, uh, we did a, you know, it was a, a rough year last year with the pandemic, not only for us, but for everybody. But we, we were able to get uh, get it going in the Big East tournament and was able to come away with a Big East championship. So you know, that put a, a, a smile on my face, and I know it put, put a smile on Big John's face up there in the yes. skies. Um, and, you know, my work is still, our work is still, you know, still we are still more work. We still have more work to do uh, trying to continue to recruit and uh, continue to get ready for next season.
0: You know, we all evolve with the times and everything, but we're all a reflection of the people who taught us. So you've had some tough taskmasters to help get you where <laughs> you are. You talk about Coach Thompson. I mentioned Pat Riley. Even Jeff Van Gundy, even though he was assistant, these are guys that are tough. So in talking to guys who played with you and have watched you now, and I've had a couple of them say, you know, that first year, we kind of told Patrick that uh, – He's a little hard. You know, he's a little intense because we were coached by intense guys, and they said that they've watched you, although you're still focused and you're still intense, but you're not as you're you're not as hard as you were the first season. Is that fair?
1: Uh, you know, you learn. Mm-hmm. You learn. There they're you know, you don't have to do uh everything that everybody else does. Okay. Uh and yes, I I you know, I'm not as uh, maybe loud and, and vocal or uh, boisterous as I was my first year, but mm-hmm. I still I still uh, uh, I'm striving for excellence. Mm-hmm. I'm still wanting wanting them to execute both offensively and defensively the, defensively the way that we work on. And I, I've had some great people to to learn from. You know, you, Jeff Van Gundy. Yes, he was yeah. one of them. I I he was an assistant, but he also became the head coach. Stan right. Van Gundy. I worked with Steve Clifford. I worked with. Um, Pat Riley played for all the coaches, John Thompson, Mike jobs, all the people that I've worked for and worked with Mm. Tom Thibodeau is one of them, Andy Greer, you know, we, uh, I've worked with some great, uh, great coaches and uh, a lot of them are having getting their opportunities, opportunities now, and they're doing very well. And, you know, you learn from everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. you bar, you know, I keep telling people, you know, I'm my coaching, my coaching tree or my coaching job is, it's a gumbo. I guess. You know, or 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 I'm or I'm cooking up some curry. You know, since I'm Jamaican, I'm making some curry gold or some curry chicken or some curry shrimp or something. So you know, you, you're adding the right spices here and there to trying to make it taste the right way or come out the right way. So that's how I look at coaching. You know, just being the the the, the, the master chef and trying to get everybody to do the right things to help help the whole group uh, be successful.
0: Let's take it back to Patrick the player a little bit. And I say 11-time All-Star, you made it look easy. And I know it wasn't. So what were the challenges to you when you can be an 11-time All-Star or a top 50 NBA player or to, to have folks go like, you know, this is number one, Nick. You know, was it ever hard?
1: I'm not going to say it was easy. Everything was hard. My first two years in the, in the league, I got hurt. Um, you know, I, I had a shoe uh, contract with Adidas. They told me I wasn't, I wasn't the player that they thought I was going to be. Mm. So, uh, you know, they, we, we ended the contract. So, you know, uh, when I talk to kids, I keep telling them, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. So I had uh, setbacks those first two years, mm-hmm. but I think that the rest of the time was was magnificent i i came out i practiced hard i played hard i represented myself my my family the name on the back of the jersey the name on the front of the jersey with class and i did the best i could to uh help the, the knicks to get to the to the, to win a title unfortunately it didn't happen mm-hmm. but you know i'm I'm still a nick
0: you know let's take it back a little bit um so, you know, me being a native Southern California, you know how I am. I, I talk to everybody. That's just, that's just how I am, man. You know, when I moved to New York and I'm on, you know, and my coworkers and friends and the say, Hey man, you got to stop talking to people, man. That's my stuff. So I bring up this little story in that, um, I've known John Starks forever, known him longer than you. And in my way of thinking, since me and John are cool and are fine, then as soon as I run up on Pat Ewing... then me and Pat need to be like that. And what I wasn't really understanding at that point is that, okay, number one, there's a Nick part of this that you aren't getting, okay, that everybody wants a piece of him. And the other part that you're not getting is that he is number one Jamaican all over the world. And so if the Jamaican holler happens to to, to Pat when he's in in Spain, he's got to acknowledge and deal with all of that. And I think you actually... We actually got on good. You warmed up to me because, in a sense, I became your IT guy. <laughs> we were in San Antonio for a, 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 a Spurs, I believe it was Spurs-Pistons uh, 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 finals, right. and um, you had a problem with your phone. I'm working for the league. We needed to get your phone fixed. You needed a driver. I get you there. <laughs> and then you kind of get to the AT&T store and people trying to look at your. And I'm just, hey, come. So I think at that point. You knew I was okay. And uh, I'm bringing all this up right now, Patrick, because your son, Pat Ewing Jr., people know him as a basketball player. And when I brought his name up to you, you go, oh, my IT guy. He's over oh, yeah. playing in Germany, man. And I have to call him in the middle. So was it my IT skills that, that let you know I was okay?
1: Yes, it was your IT skill. But he's definitely taking your job. <laughs> Any Anything that's happening with my phone, my computer, I don't care where in the world he is. That phone is ringing, um, <laughs> but uh, yes, it definitely was your IT skills that that definitely uh, be over the top. You know, won me over.
0: <laughs> you know, I ask your son right, and he's like, "Oh, if the phone rings at three o'clock in the morning when I was in Germany, it's like that can't work." The phone, man. yep. Or yeah.
1: the or the
0: or or the laptop Something.
1: is messed up, and One and he them.
0: embraced it. He knows that's his job.
1: Yes, it is, <laughs> and it still is. I think it's going to be his job till the day I die. <laughs> You know the, the crazy thing is though, uh, yeah, uh, he's a great coach. Yes. And he was on uh, the staff prior to me coming to Georgetown. I mm-hmm. wish that we could, mm-hmm. you know, get him back on our, on my staff because he knows the game extremely well. He and I we argue, we fight, we, you know, we hug, we talk about everything basketball. Mm. Uh, I, I'm hoping that one day uh, Georgetown will give me the opportunity to put him on my staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, I, you know, he's my son. I love him.
0: That's awesome, man. Uh, the other thing I have to say to you, too, is that um, I was lucky enough to take part in some of the Hall of Fame uh, uh, ceremonies and inductions. I was there in 2012 when you went in, and uh, obviously a proud moment for you. It was awesome to be a part of that, to see you there. And... I just want everybody to know, you told me, Andre, I ain't taking no shit from you today. I got two busloads of Jamaicans there, and brother, you won't make it out of the building. So <laughs> I just want you to know, man, I got nothing but love for you. But what about the love you get from the island?
1: Oh, uh, I'm Jamaican. They, you know, if you're Jamaican and you, you're successful, look at uh, both Bob Marley, mm-hmm. all the Jamaicans that, that, uh, who have come here to this country and, and, and have done extremely well. They, they, they are uh, very proud of your accomplishments. You know, they're uh, very proud that you reckon you make everybody know that you are what you are, you know, and I, and I'm proud to be a Jamaican. Well, now I'm a, Jama- I'm a Jamaican cause I'm a Jamaican American, <laughs> right, 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 but I'm very proud to be a Jamaican. I'm, I'm very proud to be from that Island and. I thank my mother and my father every day for giving, uh, bringing me to this country to uh, be able to, to get the opportunities that I was uh, able to get.
0: Well, man, as, it's nothing, as I said, nothing but an honor to have you spend some time here with this man. I know it's a middle of a work day, and, and every day is a work day when you're the head coach, so I understand that indeed. But uh, uh, looking forward to this series here with the Hawks and the Knicks, to both have them back in the postseason is a great thing. And uh, you know I'll be ringing up your phone and, and talk a little smack as it goes on. But Patrick, thank you so much, man, for joining us here on A Toast to the A-Town.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Andre. And you know, like I said, I'm room for both teams, but I'm I'm rooting for the Knicks. I got Not <laughs> (laughs) Not mad at you at all, man. (laughs) Best of luck to the Hoyas this season, too, man. Yes, I appreciate that. And that was a good one, man.
0: All right. Thanks a lot now. And, folks, do I need to add anything to that? Absolutely not. Again, uh, one of the best to ever play the game of basketball. And and now back at his alma mater doing some big things there. And uh, as we continue with the series between the Hawks and the Knicks, well, we we understand where Patrick lies, and he lies where he's supposed to. But uh, we know that we think that – Our side is is the better side. And when it's all said and done, it'll be the Hawks with four wins and not the New Yorkers. That's going to wrap up this edition of a toast to the eight town presented by the basketball podcast network. Please hit that like or subscribe button. If you hadn't already, I'm Andre Aldridge and I will see you next time.